Hello, friends and family. This is Mary Smith. I am the author and recorder of this podcast, An Educator's Legacy. Uh, We're just doing it straight up anymore, guys, because nobody's really listening anyway. So I'm going to say what I want, and then I'm going to do what I want. So if you don't like it, hit pause, hit stop, exit now. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. If you're still with me, welcome to episode seven of An Educator's Legacy. It is titled, Keep Your Clothes On, Girl. If you are like me, I know that there's nothing quite as exciting as a student taking her clothes off in the middle of class. Today, we're going to talk about the value of keeping an eye on what's going on in the classroom right under our own noses. And how do we manage that behavior, whether it's small group or large group instruction? So today our focus is mostly going to be on managing behavior during small group group instruction. So stay tuned. My first story didn't happen in my classroom. It actually happened in a colleague's classroom. This is a story of a little girl um, taking off her bra during the small group instruction. My friend uh, had four or five small groups going on of which she was guiding one of the groups. And every time she looked up, she would notice there was this group of boys around this table with a girl and three other boys at her table. So there were the girl sitting at the table, three boys sitting at the table, and three or four boys standing around the table on top of that. And every time she would look up, she'd say, what's going on over there? And the boys would go sit down. And so then she would go back to what she was doing. A few minutes later, she'd look up and those boys are back around the table again. And so she's going, what's going on? So after three or four times of this, where every time she looked up, there were some boys over there at the table that didn't belong there because they should have been in their own group doing their own work. Instead, they're standing around this group with Brandy and the three other little boys. So she goes over there to find out what the heck is going on. So as she approaches the group, she asks them, what's going on here? Why do you guys keep coming up over here? I need to know what's happening. None of, no one, not one of those kids was forthcoming in any information. So finally, um, one of the, she told them, you know what, guys, I'm going to sit here with you until somebody tells me what's going on. So after a few minutes, finally, one of the boys fesses up and says, well, we're just feeling Brandy's bra. And I thought my friend was going to like drop her jaw because um, she was assuming that the bra was still on Brandy, which fortunately it was not. So what had happened is she asked Brandy, she said, what? And Brandy said, well, I took off my bra because they say I stuff it and I wanted them to know that I didn't stuff my bra, that these are actually my real boobs. And so she had been passing her bra around and all the boys were touching it and feeling it and making sure that there was not being stuffed. So this is her story. I mean, that was done voluntarily. Brandy took off her own bra in the middle of class. You know, ladies, you know how easy that is to do to slip it off when you're trying not to be noticed. And she did. Um, She slipped it off and then started passing it around under the table for all the boys to feel and touch and look at and smell and whatever. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's really a problem in the making is what it was. 
Then there's another type of situation that happened that did happen in my room. And this is the story of a child who was special needs and uh, would be triggered. And so I had her in my class and I usually what triggered her was large group instruction because she was felt so inadequate and unable to keep up with what was going on that she would find ways to act out. And one of the ways that she chose to act out was to take her clothes off. So she would stand up and just start taking her clothes off because and talking, but she wasn't really making any sense because she was a special needs child. That's a whole different situation. Um, as soon as that happened, I would call administration and they would come and get her and, and take her to um, a better place for her to try and process what was going on with her at that time. Um, but that's a whole different story and that's not really what we're talking about today. So either one of those are not a good situation, right? They're two totally different stories and to two totally different situations. The first one was undergarments coming off and there's no flesh exposure. Nobody was actually touching anyone, although the boys were touching her bra. They weren't actually touching her. The second one was this little girl would take off her clothes and she would expose flesh. And if I wasn't paying attention quick enough, she would be down to her skivvies before, and they were on their way off so I learned to really pay attention and have her near me or my co-teacher at the same, uh, always had her near her, usually it was her, having her near her and making sure that there was no flesh being exposed to the entire class. Also, the first one, the teacher was teaching in groups and this was happening in another group. So she was focused on what she was supposed to be doing, teaching a small group while the other students should have been doing what they were doing in their small groups. The second one with my student was during whole group instruction when I was actually leading the, the instruction and she just happened to be triggered because she couldn't keep up or she didn't understand what was going on and frustration would ensue. And so she, one of the ways that she acted out was to strip down naked. I know that's a strange coping skill, but nonetheless, it is a coping skill. So that is, that was her coping skill. So we've got two different situations, two different stories. And now we're going to talk about, we're going to focus on managing behavior in a small group uh, setting. You know, as well as I do, that the current trend is moving towards small group instruction. Regardless of your instructional area, your content area, it doesn't really matter. The research shows that students do better in small group, more focused one-on-one -on -one attention. So how do we really keep a close eye on what's going on in other groups while trying to teach a small group without losing our minds or going crazy? So I'm going to give you some strategies for small group instruction. Number one, you need to have a philosophy that you need to communicate with your students. And when I was with my co-teacher, our, our philosophy was we are all a family unit. And when one person doesn't succeed, the whole family doesn't succeed. So it was our job to make sure that everyone succeeds, which means that if someone's struggling, you go and help them. And it doesn't have to be the teacher. It could be a peer that's going to help them. But we are one family unit and the family doesn't move and doesn't progress unless everyone is walking along with us. We don't leave anybody behind. The biggest thing that I can say that makes a difference in successful small group instruction is that student expectations are clearly defined. 
both verbally and written. Okay, so you need to be able to tell them ahead of time what those expectations are every single time you go into small group instruction. And that means if you do it every day, that every day you review it. It also needs to be written down somewhere because students don't remember anything. So you need to have it written somewhere. Have it written on the board, have it written on an anchor chart, have it written on a piece of paper that are, is laminated and glued down to their tables, whatever. As long as they can see it in written form and they can go back and refer to it. Okay, so they need to make sure, you need to make sure it's always available for them to look at. And then you want to practice that procedure because it is a procedure before you actually pull a group. So my suggestion is, is at the very beginning, when you're starting to pull small groups, don't be a group yourself, but create enough groups for everybody to have their group and you can go around and monitor and teach the strategies and the procedures that are involved in successful small group instruction. After they've practiced it for three or four times and more, if the, the younger they are, the more practice they need without you being a group. But then after that, you can start pulling groups once they, you can tell when they kind of get the rhythm and they kind of understand exactly what is happening, what the procedures are, what the expectations are, where to find the procedures and the expectations, and how to handle all the situations. Another thing you need to do is give each person a job. And those jobs need to rotate throughout um, the small group instruction so that every time you do a small group, every, somebody has a different job so that the same person is not always the table commander, you know, the person who's in charge of keeping the group on track and focused that job tends to get make children a little bossy sometimes. Some students aren't very confident in that area of telling the other students they need to stay on track or they need to get focused, while some students love doing that. The students who love it are going to use it and take it to their advantage and start bossing everybody around, and the students who aren't comfortable with it are not going to gain the skill that they need in order to, to have the confidence to be the table commander in the future. So you wanna force everyone to rotate through all of the jobs in practice several times before you start pulling that small group. So here's some jobs that you can do. The table commander, which is, in, I said, is in charge of keeping the group on, tack, on track and keeping them focused. The materials manager, make sure everyone has what they need to complete the task at hand, they're the ones in charge of getting all the materials, making sure everyone has their supplies, their notebooks, all of that stuff. There's an absentee monitor who collects. The absentee monitor's job is to make sure that all the work for the miss any missing students, whether they're absent or they're in the library or whatever, that they put their name on it and then they put it on, on any of the work that they're missing for that day and then they put it in a folder at the front of the room for the teacher to give to the student once they return to class. They're also in charge of the rescue unit, which I'm gonna talk about here in a few minutes. The cleanup captain makes sure that everything is turned in where it needs to be. Everything has been put away properly by the materials manager. They check in with the absentee monitor if something, someone was missing 
making sure that they put it where it belongs so that the teacher can give it to the absent student. And they put everything back in order the way it should be as soon as the task is completed. So they're kind of in charge at the end piece, the last five minutes of getting everything together. Also, when you're looking at uh, implementing small group instruction, look at the furniture placement. You want to keep your furniture away from corners, dark areas of the classroom, or kid, don't cram kids too closely together. When they get too tight, it's difficult to see what's going on. And if your classroom is not very big, you really do need to make sure that you've found a way to kind of spread them out so that you have a, and that you have a good visual from wherever it is you'll be working of each group that you can see. Now I've seen it to where when you walk into the classroom, the teacher sitting at a table with the students in one corner, and then there's students in every other corner, and one in like right smack dab in the middle of the floor. And they had a really good line of sight on everyone, but the corner, the um, furniture and the students that were in the corner weren't smack dab in the corner, they were just in that corner area but the teacher really had the ability to see what was going on. No one was sitting too close to each other um, any, to alleviate any kind of problem along those lines. And make sure that you can see any children who decide to work on the floor because sometimes they'll position themselves under a table where you can't really see what's going on and you really don't have any idea whether they're following procedures or doing what they're supposed to be doing or not. So you wanna make sure that you've got a good line of sight on every single group in your room. And then there's the rescue unit, which is what I referred to earlier, that the um, absentee monitor can be in charge of. Now the rescue unit can, is just some, a little visual cue for you that the student can use to say, we're struggling here, we need help. Whether it be struggling because people are arguing, struggling because they don't know what to do, struggling because someone's acting or being in, or saying things that are inappropriate, whatever it is, give them some kind of a visual clue that they can put up so that as you're, as you're teaching your small group, you can look around and take a quick assessment and make sure that everyone is still on green. It can be something as simple as a tongue depressor with a green circle on one side and a red circle pasted to the other, and they keep it up on green for you to see, but if something goes wrong, they flip it over to red. And so when you put your head up and you're looking around at your groups real quick, you need to be able to see all of the units, all of your um, units are facing green and not red. It could be something like colored Play-Doh, where they put it at the top of a pyramid or something at their table. It doesn't really matter what you use as the visual cue, as long as you have some kind of visual cue that says, that the students can put up, that says, we need help, and um, you can get up and go and, and address it as soon as it's appropriate for you to, to do that, where you have a good stopping point. That uh, actually alleviate some of the problems of the constant interruptions where kids are walking up and they're telling you, so -and -so, miss, so-and-so is doing this, miss, so-and-so is doing that. You know that needless tattling that, that always comes with teaching children? That will alleviate a lot of that because they don't flip 
no one gets to come and interrupt your group teaching, your small group teaching, unless there's blood or puke involved. Otherwise, they have to use the rescue unit. And the rescue unit is uh, handled by the absentee monitor. So if things start to become an issue, that absentee monitor just flips the visual cue so that you can see it. The good news is small group instruction is totally doable with the right preparation and planning. The bad news is small group instruction does require some work on the front end for you. But once you get that front end preparation, planning, and practice in place, small group instruction turns out to be an amazing instructional technique that you will truly enjoy. Join me next week to hear how one teacher made almost her entire second grade class cry in an episode titled, I Believe. Y'all, big, big news. This format of podcasting that I've been doing is about to end. In January, I'm beginning interviews with educators who have made a significant impact to the field of education. I am so stinking excited to announce that my very first interview is with none other than world-famous Pete Hall of Hall Education. Pete, Alyssa Simmerall, and I have been working on a book together titled Reflective Impact Journal, Pursuing Greatness Every Day. It's due to be released in January as well. Pete agreed to be my very first interviewee. In this episode, you're going to learn about Pete the man as well as Pete the educator. It truly is an awesome interview. I know you're going to love it. So join me in January for Pete Hall, the man, the myth, the legend.